So I read something the other day that I found to be amazing. Uh, So researchers, they combed through stacks and stacks of medical data that had been submitted by heart doctors, cardiologists. And they were looking specifically at the cases where these heart doctors told their uh, most at-risk patients that unless they made a change in their life, they would die. Change your diet, change your exercise pattern, stop smoking. Uh, Those were sort of the three biggies. Unless you make this change in your life, you will die and die quickly. Now, the finding of this research is what is truly remarkable. What percentage of people do you think were successfully able to make the change? 100%, right? Like the doctor said, if you don't change, you're going to die. So that should be everyone. Uh, No, of of course not, right? Like 14%. One in seven. 14% of people, uh, when facing dire health outcomes, were able to change the behaviors that were contributing to these outcomes. That means six of seven people, knowing that the pattern their life was on was going to lead to early and untimely death, were unable to make a change. That's bananas. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton observed way back in the 17th century the phenomena of inertia. This idea uh, that an object will stay in motion unless it is affected by an outside force. And our true, our lives have inertia. Most of us, once we get going in a direction, once our lives have a certain trajectory, we will stay on that trajectory unless something radical happens to knock us off it. And at the time of uh, Jonah, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Ninevites were the enemies of Israel and by extension the enemy of Jonah. And the book of Jonah begins like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah goes to the port, he buys a ticket, and gets on a boat going to Nineveh. No, 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 going in the opposite direction, going to Joppa. Because uh, of all the prophets in the Old Testament, Jonah's the one I can relate most easily to. When God tells us to do something, sometimes our first reaction is to say, but I want to go the other way. And that's, that's where Jonah was. So Jonah, he's in a boat going out the opposite direction. A storm comes up. Jonah realizes that he is at fault and tells the people on the boat with him, throw me off this boat. It's the only way that you will survive. And they said, all right. They throw him off the boat. He is swallowed up by a fish. For three days, he's sitting in the belly of this fish, praying to God, wondering where his life went so sideways. And three days later, he spit out, onto the beach, and he eventually makes his way to Nineveh. And 
And this is where we find ourselves in today's reading. Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. Jonah then obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. For who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The Ninevites had some serious inertia towards rebellion and wickedness. But upon hearing of their destruction, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repented of their wickedness. Their sadness was the seed of repentance. And those who were the enemy became the example of God's grace. The story does not go the way that we expect it to. It's the prophet who runs away from God's call, and it's the no-good, dirty-dog Assyrians who, when they hear of God's judgment, repent. And because of that, those who were the enemy become the example of God's grace. So much so that in Matthew 12, Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So we live in a culture that tells us two huge lies about the role of emotion in our lives. The first is that you are your emotion. We live in a culture that says, uh, and even the way we talk about emotion, it's, oh, I'm, I am sad, or, or I am happy. And in reality, we feel emotions. We aren't emotion. You know, we'd be much uh, better off to, to recognize that, that when we feel sad, that is a feeling. But it's not our state of being. And the second lie of our culture is, is close to it. And that is that emotions are to be manipulated. That if something makes you sad, the best thing to do is to stop doing it, to pour yourself a glass of wine and start doing something that makes you happy. Right? I mean, in the immortal words of Sheryl Crow, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. 
idea. Like, th- th- this is what we are told by the world around us. Th- th- that emotions are something that we can manipulate uh, to either do things that make us happy by self-medicating, or at very least we can just dull them by looking at our phones and crushing candy till we don't feel anymore. But the Bible tells us that what is good and what is bad has nothing to do with how we feel. That which is good is that which God has commanded. What is truly good is being obedient to God's instruction. And when we do find ourselves feeling feelings of sadness, if we are wise, our first move won't be to run to the wine and the candy crushing, but rather to lean into that feeling of sadness. Because God may just be speaking to us in the midst of that. In the same way that for the people of Nineveh, it was their sadness that led them to repentance. Maybe, just maybe, when we feel feelings of sadness, it might not be that that terrible shame monster, but it might be guilt and conviction doing something good in our lives to lead us into greater faithfulness and greater obedience in in the lives that God has for us. If, uh, if you haven't seen me since Lent last year, you probably noticed there's less of me. Like 15% less of me. Uh, because the, the first week of September this, this past year, um, I, was, I was sleeping, and my wife Cindy woke me up. And I said, what's the big idea? And she said, well, you aren't breathing. I said, Cindy, I'm sleeping. You don't need to breathe while you're sleeping. (laughs) She said, no, you do. And then she went on to use all of her medical training in nursing school to tell me why I have to breathe while I sleep. And why the extra weight I was carrying was making my tongue fat and made it so, whatever, you get the idea. But, I mean, so basically what happened is I, I was faced with this decision in early September, right? Like, because for my entire life, when I have been sad, I have gone to my two best friends, Ben and Jerry. And they've helped me feel better. But now this sadness had to lead to repentance because I didn't want to end up like Reggie White or Michael Clark Duncan or one of the other people who, you know, stop breathing at night and don't wake up the next morning. So for six months, I've written down everything I've eaten. I've, you know, walked like 1,200 miles and, you know, just generally done things differently so that I can breathe at night. 
it was sadness at the thought of not being able to care for my family and watch my sons grow up that changed the way I live on a daily basis. Because this is the way sadness can work in a powerfully positive way in our lives. When the sadness of the present exceeds our fear of change, truly incredible things can happen. The Apostle Paul says something similar to the Corinthian church. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, he says that even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, and he's talking about the first letter he wrote, or maybe the second, because 2 Corinthians is probably the third letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. But either way, one of the first two letters made them sad. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow has led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. For godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Friends, Lent is the best time to lean into godly sorrow. To lean in to the sadness that God can use to convict and change the direction of our lives. And in a moment, we're going to be reminded of our mortality as we receive the mark of the cross and ashes on our forehead. And over these, these days of Lent, my prayer is that, that we would have the courage to lean into our feelings of sadness... And in so doing, that we might discover what God wants to reveal to us and in us. Because the inertia of our lives is a powerful force. Once we get going in a certain direction, it is hard to do something different. But for us, our deliverance from sin our deliverance from death, the power to be put on a new path is found in Christ alone. And we are, are truly uh, blessed because God continues to pursue us, continues to invite us into the life that he's always dreamed of for us. Because God loves us just the way he made us. And out of that great love, he wants to give us the life that he's designed for us to live. Which means that oftentimes the inertia of the life that we are living, we need to get knocked out of that groove. We need to be pushed off that path. We need to experience sadness, godly sorrow, which will lead to repentance and new life. Let's pray together.
Almighty God, we confess that there are times when we have ran away from those feelings of sadness. When you have wanted to speak into our lives, when you've wanted to to give us the power of recognition of our rebellion so that we can repent and experience the freedom that we can have in you. But we have ran away from that. We've self-medicated, we have dulled the feelings with electronics and surfacey relationships. But Lord, we pray that during these 40 days when we feel the sadness that you are bringing into our lives on purpose, Lord, that we would have the courage to lean into it. That we would trust that you are the God who deeply loves us, who's chosen us, who sent your son into the world to save us from slavery to sin and death. And who gives us these feelings of sadness so that you can perfect us. So that you can restore us to be the people who you created us to be before the brokenness of the world made its mark. Lord, give us the courage this day to lean into those feelings of sadness, to lean into those feelings of conviction, to lean into those, those divine, sorrowful moments so that we can repent and be transformed and be perfected in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory for you truly are worthy. Amen.